Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the to the Two Salties Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We have Kevin Laramay in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and we're going to talk some Canada soccer. We're going to talk the Ottawa Fury. We're going to talk about the Montreal Impact. We're going to talk about the Vancouver Whitecaps, and that's all we're going to talk about today, right, Kevin? Uh, I think you forgot about one team that had a rough week as well, Dwayne. What team is that? I don't think I remember anything of the sort. It's a team in red, but that's not playing tonight in Toronto. I think it's a team in red that usually plays almost every week in Toronto. Um, thinking, thinking, hmm. Nah, I think the nickname is the Reds. The, the Reds? Like Liverpool? Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Liverpool well, plays in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll that's talk about Toronto with C2. Um, <laughs> all right, before we do all that, that's... Before we get into the negative, uh, we're going to do a couple things today. We're going to we're going to have a positive conversation with the Canadian men's national team, but we're also going to have a bit of a funeral uh, for our eight one and for the last cycle because this is the end of the last cycle. The beginning of the new cycle is officially tonight, so we are going to uh, we're going to have a little wake. We're going to have an Irish wake for the last cycle and for TFC. I have um, have some vodka out here on my desk. I, I do. I tweeted it out. If you don't believe me, I've uh, uh, got some water and some uh, Milo sports drink because I'm apparently an 18-year-old teenager, but at any rate, and uh, we're going to have a little Irish wake for the, the Canadian national team and for TFC for right now in our second last and last segment, but before that, we're going to get really positive, and we, but we have Philippe DeSantos, who's the technical director for the Ottawa Fury. He's on to talk about some exciting developments. Uh, Kevin had the, to pre-tape this conversation yesterday because I had some, um, some work I had to do. Uh, we have him there on there now. Why don't we just bring him on, Kevin, and uh, listen to that conversation about some exciting development in the academy world for the Ottawa Fury. And welcome back to the Two Solitudes Podcast. It's with great pleasure that I'm joined today by the Technical Director of the Ottawa Fury, Mr. Philip DeSantos. How are you doing, Philip? Very good, thank you. Last week was a big week for the Academy of the Ottawa Fury. A lot of new announcements. Can you explain to us the new structure that the Academy will have going forward? Yeah, what, what we, uh, we're looking to put in place is, um, is really a, a, an environment that will allow players to, to, to be inside a a club environment, um, training with 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 high demands uh, uh, in a rigorous environment, uh, where, where where they're going to be able to to maximize their potential. Where we'll be covering uh, many aspects of, of, play, of player performance and 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 how to develop the the, the different attributes that a that a, a soccer player needs to have to to cope with the the demands of the high level game. Uh, so they'll they'll go from a from a ratio of two times a week of training or two 
two or three times a week to to a, uh, an environment that's going to be a lot more demanding and competitive, where they'll be on the field uh, four or five, even depending on the cycle of work, six times a week on the field, uh, training with with qualified staff, with a support staff, uh, with um, access to uh, human performance resources, with performance analysis, uh, and, and and consistent games that will allow them to to um, to then showcase what what they're working uh, on a daily basis. There was an announcement as well. There was a partnership with the Arwen Gatineau Soccer Association in the region uh, to have a more in-depth look at younger players as well. Can you explain to us what the whole situation can be with that? Yeah, the partnership is more in, in regards to the community clubs in, in Ottawa. Uh, obviously, we can't we can't um, we can't turn away from from the Gatineau area because I'm sure that, that players. Uh, and, and knowing the Quebec system, there's going to be a, a quality pool of players that that are going to come from there. So um, now players from from Gatineau instead, instead of looking to travel the two hours and and, and for, for for quality structures that will allow them to uh, to fulfill their their desire of growing as soccer players and and, and aiming for 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 Montreal, they could now find that type of environment here in Ottawa. Uh, partnerships are, are simple, and our goal is simple is we, we cannot try to be everywhere we we have to realize that uh, Ottawa still has a, a, a big pool of players Ottawa and Gatineau we have to rely on 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 community club structures to work with the younger age groups uh, always knowing and taking in consideration the fact that the resources these clubs have sometimes are not as 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 high or or, or they, they they still have some deficiencies when it comes to to um, infrastructures and capacity to provide players with adequate training time. Sometimes these clubs have to deal with so many players that it's hard to always have consistency and quality coaching. So we'll have to, uh, to, to, to find a way and what we're to, looking to put in place are means that will allow us to um, to identify the better ones in conjunction with the clubs, uh, bring them into additional work, be able to monitor, grow, uh, grow community clubs, uh, and make sure they're ready when they enter the academy. I think that if we try to bring uh, young players with young players that are very young into a, a unique centered location like the Ottawa Fury uh, in a team-oriented environment um, with, with squads of 15, 16, 17 players, uh, we're missing out on so many other players at young ages that that could uh, maybe progress and end up becoming better than the ones we've we've targeted at at, at early ages. So uh, by doing these partnerships, we're opening our pool of players, and we're we're showing that there's there's a, a component of trust. Uh, where we believe that clubs today, because of the standards of the, the OPBL requirements, are, are now forced to work better. They've been hiring uh, more and more professionals to work with the players. So we trust that in conjunction we could we could provide what is needed for young players to grow, and then the better ones would would, would enter our academy already with with the necessary tools to um, to, to to compete inside a, a, a more demanding environment. What would you say is the long-term expectation of the new Fury FC Academy structure? We have to aim high. I think that uh, obviously today there's there there's some bridges that were were or steps that were burnt in, in players. So uh, players 
that that are 16, 17. I've been in in some 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 environments that that have presented through the years deficiencies. Um, so 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 we think that the generations that are going to come below will benefit a lot more of of, of this new structure, um, of, of, of the new reality of, of of grassroots soccer in Canada with with clubs being alerted to to work in in better ways with better resources and personnel. Uh, but I think we need to aim high. We need to to um, believe that what we'll be putting in place would allow us to um, to to provide players with the necessary tools to who knows tomorrow make a, a youth national team uh, play for our NASL team um, in the girls side obtain obtain a chance of, of, of getting a, a scholarship in a quality university college either in the US or a CIS team and, and who knows come back and, 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 and play for, for our national teams or, or W League team I think we need to aim high but main goal is this we, we don't promise to make uh, professionals out of everyone, but we build our our program in in developing in players strong values, values of work ethic, of of commitment, um, of, of of sacrificing, of of being able to deal with adversity when it comes, and uh, values of respect. And 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 I think that by doing that, we'll be preparing the 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 players uh, not only to to. To um, to become eventually a, a soccer player, but also uh, to be, become a, a, a very very um, good uh, human being in society and, and working hard for whatever he needs and wants to obtain as an objective. And I think that needs to be our goal. It's it's really to to provide players with the, the tools to to um, to 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 be in 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 in, in a position where he's going to be successful and and whatever he does. And hopefully, it's going to be in soccer. We were joined by Philip DeSantos, technical director of the Ottawa Fury. Philip, thank you very much and good luck for the rest of the season in the NASA. My, my pleasure, thank you. And yes, the wait is finally over. Teespring.com slash Two Solitudes Podcast. You can get the official unattached FC shirt. Yes, you can finally represent the most consistent feeder club of the Canadian men's national team history. You can finally walk around the street and be able to walk around with pride for the one of the most famous club in Canadian history. Yes, the wait is over. Teespring.com slash Two Solitudes Podcast. $25 well invested in the future of Canadian broadcasting in the world of soccer. While supplies last, shipping not included. And we're back, and thanks again to Philippe for uh, for coming on. Uh, I like that kind of stuff, and we need more of the, more stories like that, Kevin. Whether it's going to, you know, I think we sometimes in Canada get overly too excited about these academy developments with this idea that we're just instantly going to start mining all this talent. But, you know, you can't find gold until you start to panhandle, right? Exactly, and it seems like another net to make sure that there's no players falling between two chairs anymore. Uh even Philip mentioned it in the interview. Uh, in the age between 12 and 14, where sometimes you can see elite players developing that are not have been signed or have uh, been uh, in an academy or been recruited by higher teams, with the system they're putting in place, uh, people talking and just communication stream between the Ottawa Gatineau region and the actual Ottawa Fury Academy, some of the players that would have fallen between the cracks 
might have a chance to play professional soccer eventually. And if that brings them to the youth national team, to the national team, well, if one player makes it to the national team out of all that, it would have been worth it. And you look at the TFC Academy, and it's been, I think, since the MLS era started the most successful of the MLS academies, with all due respect to Vancouver in terms of producing. Uh, well, certainly Montreal now is starting to break those kids through. But you have guys like Daniel Henry, and you have uh, Ashton Morgan even at that level uh, playing regularly for the national team. That's that's a phenomenal thing. This, these are guys that came into an academy system not even – at, like they didn't come in as a young as 12 year olds like we're talking here they came in as 16 17 year olds and they're still able to sort of bridge that last gap so if you can imagine when you get that first generation which is coming through soon and I think we're starting to see it with the impact um, it started when they were very young uh, starting to move in there you can see the effect of this and no there aren't enough of them in Canada but this is one more positive step to, to cover another urban area in this country absolutely when we're talking about a you a junior youth academy a youth academy, and up to a U23 team for the Ottawa Fury and a women's team. Don't We don't have to forget that in that shuffle, there is a women's team as well. The under-23 women's team being created for the Academy of the Ottawa Fury FC, which is another good news for the women, another place for them to get better and to play. Yeah, well, and I, I suspect that the, the league that they may end up in might be League One Ontario women. Uh, I was talking to Dino Rossi uh, this week about that, and they're still, they're still not there to say it's a full goal for next year, but they're certainly planning that. They're working towards that. They need to find eight to ten organizations that are willing to put the professional standards in uh, so that U23, uh, maybe their U20 team in that level, because I know they're in the W League as well, I suspect you might see a tie-in there, and that's, that's great news there if we can get Ontario League One going on the women's side. But to, to bring it back to, to the men... Um, you know, I think that this plays a couple other roles and some legitimate roles for the Fury themselves as well. Uh, they're struggling a bit on the pitch this year, but I think that, uh, that there is a lot of hope and a lot of good stuff that you can see with that Fury to make you suggest that uh, that this is a team that might might make some waves in NESL down the line. When we see the, the Eddies are doing so well this year and are making that push to the playoffs, but uh, we can dream of a time when maybe we have two Canadian teams pushing for that playoff spots, or, or hopefully ten Canadian teams playing in their own league, but that's another story. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. Still undefeated since Colin Miller went came on the show. Yeah, I know. The, uh, the two solitudes bump. Uh, we keep putting it out there. And we just had a, a Fury, uh, Fury guest on, so uh, maybe we'll get give them that same bump, I think. We can hope, both hope for that, right? We'll see with the Fury this week. Who knows? The one thing I found interesting was the move into Gatineau, um, which, for those that aren't aware, is what used to be called Hall amongst us Anglos. So uh, Gatineau's been Gatineau for, what, like 20 years now, though? Uh, I would say like 10. Yeah, okay. So anyway, if you don't know what Gatineau's is, it's Hall. It's the Quebec City right across the street. But at any rate... But that, uh, that's what Philip explained, too, well, the reason behind it. It's just because they want to give the kids in those that part of the, the country, in the Gatineau region, in the Nalutawe, a chance to have the structure and the possibility of training without having to travel two and a half hours or two hours to go to the Montreal region. And, but there's also another under, unspoken for that, too, is it's a bit of a marketing push to get those kids to be more associated with the period than the impact, right? And yeah, I don't like that part, but yeah. <laughs> It's an interesting thing, though, and it speaks to that kind of battle there, and there's a real potential down the line. Uh, for the impact and, or sorry, for the impact and the fury to become big rivals if they ever start playing uh, regularly in competitions in the in the Voyagers Cup, um, you know we suspected uh, when the fury launched that we might see some some connections, some cooperation between the impacts and the fury. 
Uh, haven't really seen that this year. We have seen TFC use them a little bit, so there's, there's some interesting things there. Uh, whether, uh, I don't know, the blood of the province is more than the water of the, of the re- relative region, I don't know. But uh, there's some interesting possibilities for rivals there. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we'll see. Uh, right now it's too cute. Ottawa's almost Montreal's second favorite team because a lot of ultras, a lot of fans, a lot of supporters are going to the games. Until there's a, a showdown in the Canadian Championship or who knows what. It'll still be a little more uh, cute rivalry, as you could say. Yeah, well, I, of course, as everyone knows who listens to the show, went to the Fury's first ever game at, in, at home. And uh, my experience was that as a Trontonian, I was very much on the outside there as a TFC uh, person. So uh, it was mostly uh, either Fury partisans or uh, Impact supporters that were uh, sort of rotating between the Impact and Fury. But... Um, I think that there is a potential there, and I think that the, the distance between Ottawa and Montreal, people don't realize how close the two cities are, I don't think. Like, even as, even in Canada, people don't necessarily realize that it's like an easy drive between the two cities. Literally an easy drive. Two and a half hours if it's nice outside. It's flat. But yeah, it's an easy drive. Yeah, so there's potential there. But uh, beyond that, I think that the important thing is that the, the Fury are recognizing the need, as are other teams in this country, other uh, clubs in this country, to be clubs. Uh, and to go down to lower levels and to produce and, and to take a serious effort of development. And uh, it hasn't been that long in Canada that those type of thought patterns were, were prevalent. And the fact that they are now the norm, as we see with this, is only a positive thing if 50 years too late. Yep, absolutely. And speaking of 52 years, years too late and the effect that has... Today marks the beginning of the 2018 cycle for Canada. It's uh, the, the 2014 cycle, Kevin. It didn't go so well. Oh, did it? Uh, for some reason, I can't remember what happened. I hate to bring it up. Yeah, it didn't end so well. <laughs> As we've said many times before, there were some positive performances in there. Uh, the win against Panama at home is a personal highlight for me. Uh, they handled uh, Cuba on the road to start that. Uh, that's in, in the past would have been a, an environment that the Canadian national team would have faltered in. Uh, how unfortunately, their old habits came back at the end. We don't need to belabor them other than to have a brief moment right now, Kevin. I uh, have my glass raised in the air. I told you it was going to be an Irish wake. I'd like to say a moment, take this moment for us to just have a moment of silence in memory of the 2014 cycle and to let go once and for all of the way it ended. If you'll just join me now, everyone, raise a glass if you have it. A brief moment of silence to remember all that was good and bad with the 2014 cycle. Russia, here we come. We're going to Russia on a tourist visa, maybe, but we're going to go to Russia. No, Kevin, in, in this eve, and now as we speak, as we record this, we are less than 12 hours away from kickoff tonight here in Toronto, between uh, Toronto and, uh, between Toronto, whoops, Freudian flip there, between yeah. Canada and Jamaica. And, uh, For once, there's a lot of uh, Montreal players in there. Yeah, no, there is. It's good mix there. Uh, it, you know, I think that there is um, a real need. I guess we can start there. There's a need, I think, for this this team to to play in other places a little bit in this cycle, as great as it's been from 
me and a person to break my bank to get to the qualifying games. I do understand the frustration. I My point has always been that Canada needs to, to center its qualifying games in one location for a lot of reasons. I think it makes the teams comfortable. It gives them a home advantage. It also lets the ground support on the ground, which is the only place a ground support would be. One sip of vodka, and I'm already losing my mind here, Kevin. Um, it lets the, the span support swell on the ground and, and gets a, a supporter section going there. It's not an easy job in Canada to, to get a supporter section going. It's just the way they're required. Um, and I've seen the amount of firsthand effort that goes on here in Toronto to, to put the numbers that are in there in there. And I worry that if you shoot everything to Moncton, you're suddenly still going to have all the Hondurans on a plane getting there, and you're not going to have the same 500 or 1,000 Canadian fans that are are there as well. And that's been my worry. So I just want them to center it in one place. If it's in Vancouver, that's fine. Just make sure all the games are there. No, but that's exactly what it is. I remember the last game that Canada played at the U-20 in Montreal. We were 10 Voyagers I could yeah, name them. People don't realize that. They don't realize how much work Jamie, Jim McLeod, who's been the president of the Voyagers for the last few years, how much work and how much of his own money he puts into to building that support. So I think we should all raise that glass again to Jamie, to Jamie, because he does a lot of work to make sure that there's people out there that are they're waving the flags and supporting the flag. Jamie's been in the, in the scene for a long time, and he's lived. He's one of the few people that has actually lived in Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto. So uh, he understands each of those markets pretty well. You know, but you're right. Uh, it's hard to get that support to be uh, always organized, always there. And in Toronto, there's a lot more numbers than anywhere else. So just yeah. for that aspect of more supporter, more voyagers, and a more present uh, fan support or noise or cheers or encouragement are there. Uh, get tonight, we all expect a pro-Jamaica crowd. When Jamaica comes to Canada to play... The fans come out and drove, but hopefully there'll be some red and some uh, Alita Rouge tonight. Yeah, it'd be a good day to rob some homes in Eglinton and, and uh, Laird. I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not suggesting... That, that didn't sound right when you just came out. <laughs> not Laird, by the way. That, that's, that's a different neighborhood altogether. Marley. I don't mean to go rob Jamaican's homes tonight. I'm saying there won't be many people there. Uh, maybe we should race that, but I don't know. Anyway, nah, never mind. In there. Um, look, on the field... Uh, tonight's going to be, it's a mixed lineup. I think Jamaica, I haven't really looked very closely at Jamaica's lineup, to be honest, because... Matt, it's not there. He picked up a knock last week. He's sitting in Vancouver, staying there. Yeah, so that that's too bad that we don't get to see Maddox, because we love Maddox here in Toronto. Um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, it, I don't like the result. I think it does matter a bit tonight, and that's unfortunate, but I think what matters is not so much a win or a loss or a draw. I think what matters is the performance, and as long as there's progress there. That's a hard thing as a supporter to wrap your head around, and I mean, I know we're starting the new cycle, and we're a year away from qualifying. We really are. We're about a year away from the start of World Cup qualifying, and we have a Gold Cup in the middle. So this is this is crunch time now. We need to start getting performances. We need to start to finish out, learn how to win, but it also still involves making sure that your performances are good, and, and it starts tonight. Um, so I'm hopeful. I think that the lineups out there, there's no excuse for them to not to be competitive with a team like Jamaica. Oh, especially with the Bernier, the Vimet, the De Rosario, all those players. Some of them are probably going to play their last game for Canada, and that's a motivation in itself. And some of them, the last time they played for the country, they were on a bench in that dreadful game in San Pedro Sula. And tonight, for them, it's the only and probably the only opportunity they'll ever get to erase that memory with the positive one. So I expect good things on the pitch tonight, Dwayne. 
Absolutely. And that, look, moving forward, we are a year away. I, I think that it's important to build on the FIFA points. Uh, I know no one likes those ranking systems for good reason. They're a load of crap half the time. The ELO ratings are better, which puts, by the way, which puts Canada around 80th and 90th right now, which is not great, but it's a more reflective position than, than 120th or where the hell they are on the FIFA rankings. Uh, but the FIFA rankings are going to be used for the, for the pools. And what they don't want to do, what Canada doesn't want to do, is avoid being not seeded in that second round. Um, you know, there was a time when we used to dream about, you know, being able to avoid the second round. It's not going to happen. Uh, we're going to have to play that second round qualifier, but at least we want to be the seeded team in there so that you're playing, you know, islands uh, that you should be able to beat with even just, just like, youth teams. I mean, the, you know, I was at those games, uh, I guess, three years ago now. Um Canada was a dominant team in those things. They struggled to score as they always did, and that should have been a bit of a, a, per, a little bit of a hint that we might that might be the killer. And it was because they didn't score against Honduras in, in the second round or in the third round, and that was ultimately as much as eight one is every bit as much as what put them out. Um, but they just they need to be seated there. You don't want to have to get by Guatemala to get through. Not that you couldn't get by Guatemala, but you don't want to put yourself in the position where you could lose out to a team like that so early. You don't want to put yourself in a position that you need a result in their pitch, in their home. That's what you yeah. don't want to do. And they do. They, they honestly need that extra year, too. Like I, I'm looking forward to Canada playing in the second round of CONCACAF qualifying, and all this is this talk is we're assuming that they're going to go forward with the same format, which they haven't switched in three cycles now, so I don't know why you'd think they'd switch it now. Um, I like the idea of them having to play that round, so long as they're up against St. Lucia, uh, I don't know, Guadalupe, they're not even a real country, so the whatever. Faroe Islands. Yeah, the Faroe Islands are in CONCACAF, but, however. It's an island. The Cayman Islands, uh, St. Lucia, and uh, the, the British Virgin Islands, that kind of group, you know, that's. Canada should be able to beat that. The TFC Reserve side should be able to beat that team, right? So I don't know about the TFC Reserve, though. Um, TFC Reserve something like better in the full team right now, the academy. Anyway, um, look, I like that because a couple things. Uh, if you look at – you talk about FIFA rating, rankings. That bursts your ranking up more than anything else because you get a lot of points for playing in qualifying games. But uh, it just it helps with confidence and all those sort of things, and it helps the team gel. And if, especially when you have a young team and – you're sending them down to environments that are a little challenging, but they're not going to be fatally challenging. And I, I just, that's just positive getting into a semifinal round. When they hit a semifinal round, Kevin, look, I don't know if any of us can look ahead two years, but as much as we can, we can expect that it's going to be a challenge for them. They're going to be a third seed in that round, yeah. and they're going to struggle to get out of it. But what you can hope for is, you know, a lucky draw. Uh, which is maybe avoiding Honduras for once because I think we need to not have Honduras in our group. Uh, you know, I don't. I would actually kind of like to draw Mexico or the U.S. in the group. That would be ideal in my mind. Because we get a pass almost. Yeah, because that's that, that's a good challenge, and you get to see that team at home. Uh, see Mexico or the U.S. play uh, in Canada, I think would be a valuable draw, and I think it would be a good uh, good experience for everyone. If you grounded a draw on that, then that'd be great. And between um, you and me, all the players, did they have a chance to play against U.S. or Mexico in the qualifying? It doesn't happen often. They would get up for that game. And the fans will as well. It will be a more media-covered game in Canada as well, if uh, it's U.S. or Mexico. Absolutely, yeah. So that's kind of what I hope. Um, you know, if they could get a very big team... Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe get a little luck for once. It'd be nice to draw Jamaica in that group rather than than Honduras again. It'd be nice to draw 
El Salvador in there rather than Jamaica or rather than Honduras and Panama again, you know? Uh, that would be nice, but uh, we can't rely on the draw to get us through. And ultimately, I don't think it's realistic for us to suggest we're going to get through to the hacks, but I think that that should be, should remain our goal at this point as, as a Canadian team. Getting to the World Cup is going to be a very, very big ask, but getting to the hacks, I think even at the state that the Canadian program is right now, I think it's a little silly to, to suggest that getting to the hex should be out of the question. I think that should remain the goal. And once uh, you get to the hex, everything's possible. Look, um, Mexico almost got out, almost didn't get out of the hex. Same well, you don't know where the playoffs going to be. You don't know whether CONCACAF might get another spot. Uh, you don't know a lot of things. And you also don't know what the state of the Canadian national team is going to be three years from now. Three years is a lifetime in international football. And those 19-year-olds, like Jordan Hamilton could be tearing up a big league by three years from now. We don't know. I don't think he's going to be, but you don't know, right? No, exactly. And that's what people forget, too. They're like, oh, we'll never make it. We'll never go to Russia. Or years after, what Montegliani said in the conference this week, that the Victor Montegliani president of the CSA said that Flora has been here for a year now. He's going to be here for a little while. We'll give him more leeway than we did before. Because stability is what we need going forward. And that might not be the key for four years. But he said, down the road, eight years, 12 years, we will see the difference. That identity and that playing identity that Floor is giving the team right now will be really helpful down the road. Yeah, it, it is ridiculous to try and make assumptions about 2022. <laughs> I mean, the 14-year-olds are going to be playing in 2022, right? Like, you yeah. can't. We just don't know. We can assume based on the past history, and we might even be right in our assumptions, but you can't make predictions. Even qualifying, a 16-year-old right today will be a key part of qualifying for 2022. Yep. A 14-year-old qualifying part of 2022. You just don't know. Like, Did anyone know who Daniel Henry was when he was 16 or 15 years old? No. Did anyone know, like hell, even who Atiba Hutchison was when he was 16 years old? Outside of the hardest of the hardcore, no. So, you know, giving up on 2022 right now is the ultimate in, in stupidity, really. It's, it's you know, you got to move forward. I've been trying to get the idea of choosing hope, uh, choose hope, the new cycle, new hope, those kind of slogans, those kind of ideas, rather than, oh, we suck 8-1. I, I kind of need Canadian fans, and I think Canadian fans should really be... <sighs> looking to, to choose those sort of things and move forward with an open mind towards the future. Is positives a sure thing? Of course not. Are negatives likely? Maybe. But all we can do as supporters is to move forward and to keep watching and to keep hoping because without it, then what the hell? Then stop going. Take, take a new hobby if you can't have any hope, right? No, it is. It is true. You're right. A new hope is fitting for the new cycle. And who knows? That hope might at least, might not get us further, but it might be a little nicer than it was last time. All right. On that note, Kevin, uh, Kevin and I will figure out whether we can, uh, we have time uh, to consider into our schedule to do a review of this game. Uh, we still have to work some details if we do, but if not, uh, we certainly will talk about it next Monday. Uh, just watch our Twitter feed for any updates on a special show if, if and when that happens. Um, in the meantime, um, I'm going to start shooting back this vodka because I'm going to come back and talk about TFC. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast on Stitcher Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. 
subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio, Stitcher Radio. Would you just please subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio? Thank you very much for subscribing to the show. And now, back to the show on Stitcher Radio. Coming soon on Stitcher Radio. And welcome back to the final segment of the Two Solitudes podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins, Kevin Lermay on the line with me as well. Before we start talking about the mighty Reds of Toronto, which aren't so mighty today, and I pour myself another drink because this is going to be ugly, um, we're going to talk about the NASL. Uh, we misspoke off the top. Ottawa actually did lose this week uh, 3-0 to San Antonio, who are leading the fall season of the NASL. Uh, Ottawa did get a late draw against the Railhawks, 2-2 there. It was a stoppage time uh, equalizer, so good yeah, for the, Ottawa. Yeah, lost, wait, the Yetis lost, uh, they finally lost uh, two solitudes bump after for three weeks. So they lost yeah. against San Antonio, yes. For those who don't know how the playoffs work in the NHL, to take a brief second to explain them, um, they have, it's a split season, like you see in a lot of the Latin American world. So the, the spring champion, which was Minnesota, have qualified for their playoffs. The fall season champions will automatically qualify as well, and then the next two best combined records over the fall and spring record. So right now, if the playoffs were to start today, San Antonio is winning the, the fall season. Uh, they are, uh, I can't see the fall things out of Anyway, they're winning right now. So, uh, and the Cosmos, the New York Cosmos, were second in the spring, and they're kind of second right now. So it looks like the Cosmos are pretty easily going to be in there for the third spot. Minnesota's already qualified as the champion from the, the spring season. So basically what you have, for those that want to follow this the rest of the way, is about five teams, realistically, that are in for the shot for that final playoff spot, which includes FC Edmonton. You have Tampa Bay, Fort Lauderdale, Carolina, and uh, Atlanta are all within five points of that final playoff spot, which is currently held by Tampa Bay at 26 points. And then you have Fort Lauderdale at 20. Five, uh, Carolina at 24, Edmonton at 22, and Atlanta at 21. So that's kind of where we're at there. Uh, FC Edmonton still has some work to do, but they have, through their three-game winning streak, have certainly got themselves back into a conversation for a playoffs, but we will continue to follow uh, the NSL season uh, closely um, the rest of the way. In fact, I have NSL Live, so I, uh, I might make an effort to, to watch a few more of those games uh, moving forward. But uh, games that I don't have to really do much to watch and unfortunately have to watch are Toronto FC. <laughs> but and the Ottawa Fury had a, a nil-nil, uh, not an, anyway, they had a decent result, 2-2 draw this week. And for that, who knows? We had Philip DeSantos on the show today. Who knows? It might be the start of its second two solitudes bump before the Ottawa Fury this time. All right, we should get a TFC guest on. Now, before we go on, you ready? Yeah. Might take, might want to take two of them because you had like two losses, right? All right. Grass to Bemo. All right. <laughs> that was an inside job, folks. <laughs> TFC fired their coach, uh, as we all know, and we talked about in a special edition. Didn't really get a new coach bump. Uh, the first game, they looked a bit disorganized. They were bombing forward off the fullback spots. Uh, kind of exposing themselves at the back. It was really kind of naive and ugly. Uh, wasn't the best tactics. I'll be the first to admit, even though I think Greg Manny is a decent hire moving forward, and I'm not going to get into Greg Manny talk today because I've done enough of that in the last little while. Um, I certainly don't think that the first result out of the gate was necessarily as tactically aware as I would have liked. Yeah. The, the second result on Saturday, I don't even know what to say. They came out flat again. Uh, they just couldn't produce anything going forward, and suddenly they find themselves not in trouble, but they have lost all of the advantage that they built up over the first uh, 
half and a bit of the season. Two-thirds of the season, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because they were, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, people want to make this simple and say that we were over or fail. TFC, they're of course going to blow it. There's no evidence they were going to halfway through the season. There was not. Um, and anyone who says they were is either guilty of faulty thinking and using past people that aren't around anymore as an example of why the current people are going to fail, or they just were guilty of wishful thinking. However, the, the fact is that for whatever reason, they have fallen off the MLSE cliff. Uh, maybe that's the reason, but I don't even understand how who runs the hockey team matters, but at any rate, <laughs> and here we are. Uh, they, sorry, go ahead, Kevin. And the two weeks ago, well, ten days ago, when uh, Nielsen got fired, it was after the 3 nothing loss against New England, and they looked really flat. Players like Michael Bradley looked bad. How did those type of players look in the last two games? Well, if you look at the overall stats on Bradley's, and sorry, I know people are going to start rolling their eyes when I start talking about stats, but uh, then again, why are you listening to me after all these years? <laughs> um, Bradley's numbers have improved since Danny came in. He had his worst game of the year uh, in Nelson's last game. As he's been getting more forward, he's been more involved. Uh, anecdotally, so eyeball test from my perspective, I don't think that... Bradley is the guy you want pushing forward for your main offensive threat. He's terrible in dead ball situations. Someone needs to wrestle the ball out of his hands like Gilberto wrestled it out of Defoe's hands earlier in the year because he is absolutely horrific at dead balls. I sat there in the, in the stands, Kevin, watching him warm up the other day. I want to talk about old school thinking here. <laughs> I was watching warm up. And Bradley sat out there and took 10 straight free kicks from about 35 yards, without a wall, without a keeper, and all 10 of them sailed over the goal. <laughs> I'm just shaking my head at this point. Like, you can't even hit the goal when there's no one defending him. Is it the same game that he tried to do a free kick after? That was the game before Philadelphia, actually. Okay. But at any rate. So there, and he's hit the wall. The last, he's had three free kicks from about 20 yards in the last three games, and he's blasted it straight into the wall every time. So at one point, you have to recognize that maybe he isn't your best choice out there. Maybe Gilberto, if we remember some of that earlier season, might be a better choice. I know they want him in the box, but, you know, come on, mix it up a little bit. Maybe Osario might not be a bad choice. Since it seems like Dero is going to get a little more time, maybe let the old boy have a little bit of try. Um, these are all sort of observations that I'm making. I don't think that Bradley is your best uh, free kick taker is the bottom line here. I think Bradley is a brilliant passer of the ball. And if you look at his overall numbers since Danny came in, he is uh, connecting on more balls. He's connecting on more passes. Um, in, by the numbers, he was about 82% of his passes completed under Nelson. He's about 86 now. Isn't a ton, a ton, but it's significant when you're talking yeah. about over the course of, a whole, of, of several games, right? No, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then who would you who'd you have going forward more than Bradley? Would you tell Bradley that's a little bit more defensive, like in that example in a four-two-three-one, who would be in part of the two and under the three, or something like that? I would like to see Bradley playing in the as as a pure central midfielder where he's not necessarily tied to the back like he was over the last few games with Nelson, but not necessarily being relied on to be, you know, an attacking midfielder. I don't think the TFC has an AMC right now. I think that's a bit of a problem. I wouldn't mind seeing maybe Osario um, move more central again, uh, like he did at parts of, parts of last year and like he did off the start of this year. Uh, he's playing out in the wing, and he sometimes, although he's had a very good year, and people need to recognize that Rosario has had a solid second season. He's just not been as dramatic as he was last year because he's not getting as forward as often, so he's not getting as many goals. Uh, he has been pretty good. 
Um, I think that that's an area they need to address in the offseason, though. But in the meantime, I would like to see Bradley sit back a little bit and act as a pure, to use a basketball term, a point guard, more than your power forward. That's kind of where I want to see Bradley right now, and I think he'd be most effective there uh, in the MLS context because he is brilliant on the ball when he has these, these passes. The other area, real quick, the um, TFC under Nelson were far more likely to try what they call long, like statistically speaking, what's classified as a long pass, which is over 25 yards uh, by the numbers. They were far more likely to do that. Uh, about They're trying about 20 more a game. Uh, than they, they have under uh, Vanny the first couple games. So they are trying to play shorter shorter balls. So that uh, means that Vanny literally told the players, no more long balls. Quit on the long ball. Short yeah. and uh, precise passes. Yeah, I mean, every team tries some. I mean, 25 yards isn't that far of a pass, but uh, certainly they have tried. They've less often bypassed the, the middle of the field. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen. I think the true telling point is going to be when, if and if and when TFC gets another lead, uh, how Vanny reacts. Because I think one of the greatest criticisms most people had is how Nelson played when he had the lead. He he got very regressive, very negative. A lot of TFC's possession issues came when uh, they were getting goals early from Defoe and so forth, and they were sort of just sitting back and absorbing pressure for 60, 70 minutes at a time and giving the ball up far too easily, far too purposely. Uh, so when Benny does get a lead, and I think that probably in the last eight games he might get a lead at some point, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he instructs his team to play with the lead, and that, that will be a very telling point. Um, it's a little early to start doing general statements about what Greg Benny's style is. I mean, he's, you just can't. He's played two games, and he has a chance to shape his two games with a, with a skeleton roster that has been massacred by injuries, too. Um, that's another point, Kevin. I, yeah, wanna... I was going to say, do you call that? Do you consider that an excuse? No, I consider it a reason. <laughs> and semantics, you may say, but uh, they're true. I, mean, I consider that in all sports, any team. Like if the impact would blast my injuries, I'd say the same thing. It's ridiculous to say it's a quote-unquote excuse that says that. Oh well, I could. Any good manager or any good player could overcome that. Well, okay, maybe if you're like have incredible luck. Like if Manchester City is losing games because they have four injuries or five injuries, then that's an excuse because they have 600 players on their roster and they're real class. When TFC has five injuries, no, you're you're playing Ashton Morgan for the first time in several years, right? <laughs> you're playing Bradley Orr at center half. Like, that's a major downgrade in a lot of ways. Uh, losing Caldwell has been massive, and you cannot understate, understate how much it's been massive. And just as a quick antidote, um, when I was traveling up to the press box, during the game, I actually, uh, through happenstance, uh, had uh, Mr. Caldwell in the elevator with me. And through happenstance, I sat quietly in the corner while a fan uh, asked him several questions about his injury status. Um, he basically said that at that point, so this was last Saturday, that he was about a week away uh, from training full, so probably about two weeks away from um, being able to play in a game, that he could run and cut fine, but he could not kick the ball while he was running right yet without feeling a tweak in his injury. So there is your... Uh, Caldwell random injury update from the elevator. Thank you, fan, unnamed fan, for uh, for asking the questions that he wouldn't have answered me for. So, um, look, last thought on TFC. Are they out of it? Of course they're not. They're three points out of fourth. But it's the first time in a long time they've been out of the top five. So you already heard all the screams just because they dropped below that red line. 
Oh yeah, they're freaking out here in the city. Like there, there is no rational, logical, like none. Like no one is thinking. That every single TFC fan assumes they will not win another game this year. There is not a single TFC fan base that I, I doubt. Anyway, I don't. I haven't talked to all of them, but I suspect there is not a single soul out there that thinks that they are going to get more than three or four more points the rest of the way. Um, and that's maybe true. I don't know. Past history suggests it might be. That they are completely falling off a cliff. This is uh, this sports fan in Toronto has a massive case of PTSD for many <laughs> many things that have happened in the past. You know, the hockey team's failings play into people's mentality when they're talking with the soccer team. It's just the reality of it. So here we are. It's just what I said before the game on Saturday is that there's no such thing in MLS. You got to understand how MLS plays out. You can't. You can only sort of predict generalities of, of where teams are going to finish based on the past and history. And when you look at the current standings right now, you can assume that 42, 43, 44 points, somewhere in there is going to be a playoff spot in the East. TFC has 33 right now. So can they get 11 points from their last eight games? It's not impossible. Uh, they have Chivas and Montreal at home. Uh, no offense, Impact fans, but you are below TFC in the standings. Hey, Piatti. So those are... And they also have Houston at home. So that's another team that's below them in the standings. They, they kind of need to get at least seven points from those three games if they're going to have a chance. Sure. And then they need to find a result in one of their road games to end the games. So that's where we're at. And away we go. <laughs> away to uh, Houston, actually. Uh, where the Montreal Impact uh, had another tough game on the road, which they deserve better. But again, a referee decided to, to say no. I think they remember the first game of the year. I remember actually going, doing this over the phone, walking by a highway for some reason, talking to you about refereeing decisions uh, against Houston way, way back in the first game of the year. Yep. <laughs> so so tell, tell the listeners what happened this time. Well, well, I'll start at the beginning of the game. It was a back-and-forth, really open game. Houston took the lead, and then Villaduca with a nice little uh, kickback by Felipe. He did a nice left foot shot in the bottom left corner, 1-1. Then, Piatti, with a great pass, for one of the nicest through balls I've seen in Major League Soccer by DeVaio, Piatti's running all alone with three defenders on him, behind him. He's overtaking all of them. Then just a small shot, past the keeper, he gets tackled, lands on his neck, but he was fine. A typical Piatti goal, which we've seen already a couple, since uh, three to be fair, since he joined Major League Soccer. And it was a great, then it was 2-1, then eventually... What needed to happen, happened. Houston tied it up, but then they took the lead. But what really got me frustrated is at the end of the game, in the box, Houston touched the ball with their hand. Blatant, as I'm telling it to you, Dwayne. A handball in the box. Really, really clear on the TV. In front of the referee, but no call, and Montreal lost. Fair enough. Well... I mean, at this point in time, I think uh, with the impact, uh, as frustrating as losing can be, uh, it's about uh, building on the on the play, about on the results, on the, the style, and, and so on and so forth. So uh, you have to take some positives away from a fairly competitive road game, correct? Exactly. The Piatti-Divaio connection is doing great again. Piatti, just his entire work, the way he runs, the way he handles himself on the pitch, the way he finishes, he's a notch above anybody else I've ever seen in my own eyes. He's... Above, a notch above DeVaio. He's a notch above uh, Thierry Henry. He's a notch above Donovan when he used to play. He's that type of player. He will be a superstar next year and the years coming in this league. And we're just seeing the beginning of it. He's just getting accustomed to this league. Watch out next year. Watch out for Piatti. 
And look, there, to, to tie this into TFC real quick, I mean, it, it does illustrate that this is a superstar league in a lot of ways, and I know people like to dismiss that idea. They point to, to Real Salt Lake, which is one example out of 19 that, you know, has only won one championship in the past few years, too, so that's, let's be honest. They had a seven-year stretch when they were great. They only got one championship out of it. Yeah, which is MLS in a nutshell, but beyond that, I mean, it's a... It's a case where you need a dominant offensive attacking player, and then you look at at how much and how well TFC played when they had Jermaine Defoe interested and healthy. And you look at this, what's happening in Montreal right now, and you look at how well Montreal played last year with DeVaio when he was involved and healthy and, and motivated, performing. It's, it's a league where if you have an offensive star, you can jump well ahead well quickly. I mean, as much as we want to say throw flush TFC season down the toilet and assume Defoe's not coming back, well, I, Defoe wants to play again until January, despite rumors over in England. I don't know what the hell they're going to do. He's going to cut them at what then? He can't be registered until January. Um, if he comes back and performs to, in motivating to trying to win January, then TFC could very well be the advantage of that. It's a, it's a league that one offensive player can make a major difference, and that's that's my point. And you, um, sp- you spoke uh, in the segment earlier when you talk about Toronto, how they don't really have an, uh, an attacking midfielder. And the way Piatti plays, it really brought this in my perspective, in my mind, that you need a very talented attacking midfielder. And I've seen a difference between, example, Felipe or Piatti. In order to play in the same position right now, Piatti is bringing something that I've never seen Montreal Impact have. Have a creativity, a, an attacking flair in the midfield that we, know, we don't see usually in North America. Uh, usually we put our DPs either like an attacking midfielder or, uh, I mean, an attacker or forward. But as an attacking midfielder, he touches the ball way more often and has opportunity to influence the game that much more. So I think going forward, Toronto might want to have that type of player as well. I think it's the future of this league, the attacking midfielder position. Well, was, you know, I think you need to finish it too, but, um, which is why, and I'll ask you this to end the Montreal talk, uh, if DeVaio is engaged, and I know DeVaio is what, 712 years old now or something, but, yes. um, give or take, I would think a few years. Round it up one way or the other. However, uh, he's still Italian, and somehow Italians must be the red wine they drink allows them to play late in their career. Um, now that he has this attacking presence in the midfield that he seems to be clicking with, uh, yes or no answer, uh, is DeVaio going to be an MLS player in uh, 2015? If it was up to me, yes. If it was up to him, I don't know. It's going to be up to his family. So that's pretty much uh, what I can say. His family will have a decision, but Piatti has been trying to convince him. We'll see what it does. Because that kind of combination, you have a, a pure finisher like DeVaio and an attacking midfielder that can feed him uh, can be quite dangerous, and it could allow the impact. Although I think they have some other holes to fill. But uh, they'd be very similar to what TFC were this year. That as long as they kept them healthy, that they would be dangerous and could make a major jump forward. Uh, we'll watch how the season ends, and that'll be a major uh, talking point in the offseason, uh, what happens there. Um, Vancouver, nil-nil. Uh, it seems to me, and I know this isn't entirely accurate, but it seems to me that Vancouver plays nil-nils every week now. Draws are nil-nils, yeah. It's been a while it's been like this. You're right. Yeah, and like they, one story surfaced in Vancouver this week that, uh, that got a little play out there involving Darren Maddox and whether or not he had the drive to be a number one, a dominant uh, forward in this league. Um, it caused some controversy. The reporter there was sort of shunned in the, by the Whitecaps. They didn't really like this, the tone of the article. 
Uh, but it does beg the question, um, is Maddox a guy that, he's still pretty young, but is he a guy that you can rely on to be a driving force and to lead a, a championship contending team in this league? You said he's very young, Dwayne. If you look at the super draft from his year, which is the the year before the impact came in, when they drafted Andrew Wenger, well, look at this now. All the drafts are either playing regularly or disappeared from the face of Major League Soccer. And uh, Maddox, I have to say this first. You don't have a second chance to make a first impression in life. And when your first impression is you injure yourself cooking at home before you start your career... Well, the impression I have is not that great, and never really recuperated from that in my mind. Yeah, Maddox has always been, look, and people will point out that he didn't have a lot of advantages growing up, that he came from a poor background, that he didn't have some of the the things that might have shaped other people. Uh, That said, he still, you know, went away to the United States to to go to college. He still is professional. He is... uh, he was born in 1990, so he's coming on to 24. He's turning to actually, he just turned 24. Uh, so that's not give him too many excuses on the young young person thing. And I haven't heard about him burning himself or cutting himself cooking chicken recently, so I don't know. But uh, it's been 62 appearances, 16 goals. This is my last stats that I'm seeing here. They could be inaccurate. I'm looking at Wikipedia quickly. So at any rate, um, is that enough of a production, though? 16 goals and 62 appearances? That's not exactly uh, even MLS. That's like Chad Barrett numbers, uh, Kevin. Yeah, not nothing impressive there. Yeah. So I think that there is some truth that uh, we just spoke about it when we talked about Montreal, that that you need that combination. Uh, you need those those great attacking uh, midfielding players, and then Vancouver's got ample of those. They have, like, excellent of those. And Tybert needs to be moved somewhere, in my mind, uh, so that he can be unleashed and, and become the midfielder that I think he could become. But they don't really have the dominant target guy there yet. That uh, Well, they did, I guess, last year, didn't they? I was going to say, I was gonna say the, the famous C word, the Camilla word. Yeah, so losing him has... You know, they've threw some, some solid play, but they, they just don't look like a team that can break out from their funk, that can totally get beyond that six, five, maybe four on a good day, probably six and five kind of position funk that they're in, because Maddox to me just is, again, I said he was young off the top, but that's, that's more of a, a Freudian slip, a slip of the tongue, because he's not young. He's 24 years old, and at some point, you have to realize that he is what he is. And uh, maybe Vancouver really needs to go all out to address that in the offseason. Because they do, because I love the midfield they have there. They have a great midfield, one of the best in the league. Mauro and all those players, the only yeah. MVP quality, quality, some of them, right? Yep. If they have a target guy, if they have a finisher, if they were to bring, had brought Jermaine Defoe in, um, and he, you know, in some kind of fantasy world where Jermaine Defoe is like a FIFA player that you can sort of slot into lineups, <laughs> and he doesn't pout and go cry back to England... <laughs> At any rate, um, <laughs> you need to take another drink. I think. With yeah. <laughs> there you go. Then I, I think that we uh, we're looking at a very different Whitecaps team this year. But that certainly is, to me, an area that they have to address uh, if they want to become a championship contending team. They are a playoff contending team, and they always have been. And credit to them for that. But to be a championship contending team, no, they're going to need a forward. They're going to need a, a, a guy that can come in and can score. And in I don't know whether they can attract that person uh, unless they roll the dice and get lucky like they did with Camilo because of the surface they play on. And I know Vancouver fans don't want to hear that, but it's a it's a very real factor that prevents them from getting uh, name strikers. 
Absolutely. Tonight, don't forget, go to BMO if you're listening to us this afternoon. Canada, Jamaica, the beginning of a new cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And real quickly before we go, uh, you know, obviously we'll do the, all the promotion. We'll get the bumpers out there for Stitcher and for our T-shirts. If you can help us out, that'd be great. But uh, more to the point for tonight, if you are listening to this this afternoon, this being Tuesday afternoon, uh, get off out of your couch, go down to the Shoeless Joe's. Everyone knows the Shoeless Joe's I'm talking about, but if not, it's the one in Liberty Village or Parkdale, depending on your perspective. Go find Jamie, uh, Jamie McLeod. Just ask around in there, and anytime after 5 o'clock this afternoon, 20 bucks a shot. You can sit in the Voyager section. Come support your country. Choose hope. Section 112, 113, and 113. BMO tonight. Allez les rouges.